Hey, listeners, awesome news. We have been nominated for an award. This is the Signal Award for Best Individual Episode, Conversation Starter, as well as the Listener's Choice Award. And that is one that you guys can actually vote for. Guys, we love working on the show. Honestly, it's kind of a dream come true, and you made it possible. I get to work with my best friend every single day, and I get to bring information to you every single week. Thank you so, so much. We are so incredibly grateful for everybody's support and for all of you tuning in to listen. Please go vote for our show at SignalAward.com and make sure to look for our category, Listener's Choice Award. We also want to give a huge thank you shout out to our whole production team, everybody whose voices you don't hear on the podcast, but without who we could not do this, as well as the love and support from Discovery. Guys, voting ends December 22nd, so if you could head over to SignalAward.com before then and make sure to vote for our category, Listener's Choice Award, we would really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Stay curious. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about how using a face in marketing makes people more likely to align themselves with social causes, how scientists in China have developed a pair of glasses that use ultrasound technology to measure our eyes blinking, and how cats can distinguish between speech directed at them or at other humans. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Okay, Nate, I have a bit of a thought experiment for you. If I created an infographic, say, for the rights of podcasters, would you be more likely to pay attention to my cause if it was a wall of text or if I had a cute little possum named Posse Podcast who said, podcasters need rights too? <laughs> um, okay, I might need a second to process all this. You Sorry. might have created <laughs> the stupidest social cause imaginable. Hey! But I do think it would be more memorable because of the possum. I mean, podcasters do need rights, too. I mean, that's just a fact. But anyways, yes, you're in good company because recent research suggests that no matter how informative any source is, it will always be more effective with a face attached to it, especially for social causes. Okay, that's a pretty interesting premise, at least. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I don't think it's any secret that the best way for a business to connect with its customers is an effective marketing campaign. And having a face or character attached to that campaign will make it more memorable. It turns out it's a similar situation for social causes, and there's a bit of science behind it. Researchers out of South Korea hypothesized that by anthropomorphizing, yeah, that's a word, a social cause or putting a face to it, it will more directly appeal to an audience's sense of guilt. Why would posse podcast appeal to someone's sense of <laughs> guilt? He's obviously such a happy little guy. See, he's growing on you, isn't he? Maybe. <laughs> okay, so for your ad campaign to be effective, he's not a happy little guy. He's upset, <gasps> and he thinks podcasters need more oh, rights. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he's like crying as a teardrop or something. No. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, the point is, the researchers say that an entity feeling pain is an image that gives us guilt because it makes us automatically think, what could I have done to prevent this? But if you want your ad to be even more effective, you attach a human face, not on the possum. I want to make that very clear. You don't attach a human face to the possum. <laughs> to the poster, to the campaign. All right. So we yes. don't have posse podcast. We lean more Holly human. 
That was actually worse than Posse Podcast, but it, yeah. Alliteration, human, <laughs> I don't, yeah, okay. Okay, so having a face attached to it increases the sense of guilt in your audience more substantially because now you have a relatable, innocent-looking person suffering. Okay, well, to be honest, this sounds a bit manipulative. Uh, it is. But there's this old saying, the ends justify the means. <laughs> If done right, your campaign isn't lying to anybody. It's nudging them to pay attention. It's very difficult to get people to support social causes in general because it calls for a sacrifice of time, money, and effort. You have to make people stop and consider the consequences of not helping the social cause along. And to do that, a little guilt goes a long way. Okay, interesting. So how did the researchers figure this all out? Experiments. <laughs> One of the experiments had them show participants a poster with a picture of an organic waste bin with sad-looking eyes and a frown with a caption that said, please feed me waste, with the idea being that the bin was sad that not enough people were recycling food waste. Oh, there's no way that actually worked. No, that actually worked. Okay. It totally worked. <laughs> those who saw the sad waste bin said they were more likely to recycle than those who were shown a poster that just had a normal waste bin and the words recycle. Plus, not only were the participants more likely to recycle, many expressed guilt over potentially harming another living being. Humans, we are so easily impressed. All yeah. right, I get the guilt, but there's got to be more to this. Oh, there is. So having a character as the face of a brand gives that brand an identity. The truth is people don't connect with logos or phrases the same way they connect with other people or human-like characters. Think about um, Flo from Progressive. Remember her? She's instantly recognizable and makes the super boring subject of insurance more relatable. She even has her own Twitter account with over 70,000 followers, which is just a few thousand less than Progressive's own account. Okay, okay, yeah, that makes a little sense to me, to a degree. But is this really the most effective way to get people to care? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> the researchers say that most government agencies rely on expensive financial incentives, such as fines, to keep people afraid of bending the rules, to rely on supporting social causes. These are only effective to an extent. See, when people think they're being watched, they're more likely to follow a social norm, like not littering, for instance. But when fear isn't a motivator, fines mean nothing. That's unfortunately really true. I'm sure I'm not alone in having seen some random dude look over both of his shoulders to see if anyone's watching before he throws his trash on the floor. Exactly. What this research suggests is that the threat of being fined won't stop the man. However, a crying waste bin posted up just behind him might. Is that better than a possum? See, you really like the possum now, don't you? I'm thinking an actual possum, not a poster of a possum. Do you think we could train it? I don't know. I think you might want to train him to be like, an attack possum, though. Like, if you don't put your stuff in the recycling, then you just, like, with that little possum hands. Okay, you're never allowed around possums. <laughs> Have you ever tried counting your blinks? It's next to impossible. We blink 15 to 20 times per minute, or nearly 10,000 times in just one day. Thankfully, new research out of China has found a way to monitor eye blinking through ultrasound. <laughs> Okay, first of all, I've never tried counting my blinks because even thinking about the word blink makes me blink, so that makes the game a bit unfair. But sure, ultrasound, great. Uh, one question, why would we even want to measure our blinking? Well, think about it. Humans blink more when we're tired. 
if we can monitor blinks, say when someone is driving, we could start developing ways to alert them that they're too tired to drive safely. Or maybe someone is unable to speak because of an injury or disability. Measuring their blinks could lead to new methods in communicating through blinking. Okay, those are all really good points. But aren't there already methods to measure blinking? There are, but... Okay, well, have you ever seen or read The Diving Bell and the Butterfly? There's a movie based on the autobiography of a man with a rare disability called locked-in syndrome where his mind is working at full capacity, but his body is disabled from head to toe except for his eyes. Long story short, the story details him writing his autobiography by blinking when his nurse reads him the letter of the alphabet he wants written. Holy crap, this poor guy. So that really is the only way he can communicate is through blinking. Well, thankfully, that story took place between 1995 and 1987, and things have progressed a lot since then. One method for measuring blinking uses a camera to capture eye images, but it requires a very strong, fast, and expensive computer to run. So another method relies on a small sensor that gets attached to the skin near the eye, but this method can create irritation of the skin really easily and can even lead to infection. Got it. Okay, so that's where ultrasound comes in. Exactly. Ultrasound is a very common and easy-to-access medical imaging tool that can measure high-energy sound waves bouncing off any objects of interest, right? Well, the researchers in China took ultrasound, shrunk it down, and put it in an easy-to-wear pair of glasses that aren't affected by bad lighting. <laughs> That's so cool. But uh, easy-to-wear. Uh, how? I'd imagine that this tech is super bulky. Normally, it would be. But to keep the device small, the researchers used technology known as Microelectromechanical Systems, or MEMS for short. The MEMS, MEMS technology combines electrical and mechanical parts into a less-than-a-millimeter-small device with a top and bottom electrode and a piezoelectric layer sandwiched between. <laughs> Piezo what now? Piezoelectric or piezoelectric or piezoelectric. Piezo, okay. As far as I can tell, all of those are correct pronunciations, but a piezoelectric is a unique material that builds up an electric charge in response to a physical force. So it's the perfect material for ultrasound detection. Awesome. Just so cool. So I'm assuming the glasses worked or we wouldn't be talking about them. Yeah, totally. To test them out, the scientists ran a series of eye-blinking tests, some with one eye open, some with one eye closed. The exact specifics of this experiment are a bit hard to explain, but to put it simply, they were figuring out how fast the glasses could register the blinks by the distance between the eye and the glasses. Would the measurements be effective for every person using the glasses? Okay, so this is where it gets a little complicated. Because this is ultrasound technology, the way the glasses work is like echolocation. The device sends out the vibration signal to the eye, which bounces it back to the device. The further away the device is, the less accurate the reading is because there's just more distance for the vibrations to cover. The scientists gave the glasses a margin of error of around three and a half millimeters. To see if that distance would work, they tested it on six people with a bunch of different eye shapes and eyelid thicknesses. The good news is that the machine was able to successfully detect whether each person had their eyes open or closed. That's awesome. Um, but the presence of good news to me suggests that there's going to be bad news. A bit, yeah. As you might have expected, the time measured for the reflective wave to return to the device was different for each person due to the eyelid and eye shapes. That didn't deter the scientists, though, because it still managed to measure the open and closed mechanics of the eye. So they decided to observe the device in real time. How'd they do that? 
by creating a computer algorithm that recorded the ultrasound waves measured by the device, then calculating the time difference between each wave. Afterwards, it would output if the person's eyes were open or closed. The result? A successful monitoring of people's eyes for exactly one minute. Huh, one minute? Okay, I guess that's a pretty good start. Yeah, it definitely is. The ultrasound glasses are nowhere near market-ready, but after some more long-term human testing and, of course, additional research money, they believe the design can be improved. And one day, we may be able to measure our blinks through cool ultrasound glasses. Okay, so Nate, you've met my cats, and I know that everybody thinks that their pets are special, but you have to agree that my cats are pretty special. And I'm pretty sure that at least one of them has superpowers. I think that you think a lot of things about your cat that other people maybe don't. Not to be judgmental, they're wonderful uh, for cats, I suppose. Thank you. Good save, good save. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. I, I don't know about superpowers, but personally, I've always had a sneaking suspicion that cats can speak and understand English and choose not to. Like, they choose to ignore (laughs) anyone who can't directly (laughs) offer something to them that they want. See, and a lot of people actually believe that. And that kind of comes down to the difference, you know, dog people versus cat people. You hear that a lot where a dog's more willing to listen. But science supports the idea that cats don't even understand the meanings of specific words at all. They listen Hmm. strictly to the tones directed at them. So it's well known that human vocal tones vary depending on who the speech is directed towards, right? Like when talking to a baby, a dog, or even a cat. Well, what we just discovered is that it's not just the tone of voice that matters when talking to the cat. It's the specific voice making the tone. Okay, okay. So, like, if, if your cat is on my lap and I tell her to get down, she's not ignoring me because she's a jerk. She's ignoring me because... I'm not you. I don't have your voice. Well, it's it's twofold. One, my cat is, in fact, a jerk. And she knows that you're allergic, so of course she's going to be in your lab. <laughs> right. They, but they do that. Uh, based on the study, yeah, it's because you're not me. Researchers from the University of Paris-Nanterre got together 16 little kitties to see how they reacted to pre-recorded voices from their owner, as well as a stranger, when saying phrases in both cat-directed and human-adult-directed voices. So, for example, if I'm talking to you and I'm like, hey, what's up, Nate? Versus me seeing my cat, I'm like, oh my gosh, hi, Sally, how are you? (laughs) That sounds like a pretty adorable experiment, (laughs) gotta say. It's cute. Also, I apologize to all of our listeners whose eardrums I just blew out. (laughs) (laughs) This study might actually be my dream, but it was still an experiment. So there was a lot of criteria they had to meet. First, they tested how cats reacted when playing a stranger's normal voice than the owner's normal voice. The next test played each participant's normal voice followed by their cat voice. Throughout, they recorded and rated how intense each cat's behavior was while reacting to the audio. What do you mean when you say intense? Like to test if the voices were making the cats go crazy or what? No, I mean like the intensity of normal motion. So, for instance, uh, did the cats sit down to rest or did they get up and roam around meowing, looking for something? Did their ears move? Did their pupils dilate? How aggressively did their tails move? And so on. In that first test, 10 of the 16 cats showed a decrease in behavior intensity when they listened to a stranger calling their name. But when they heard their owners, ears flicked, increased movement around the room, and dilated pupils. 
Okay, so a strange voice, different tones sort of mellowed out. The voice and tones that they're expecting, they get, you know, more excited and stuff. That's that. Yeah. Okay, got to say that's adorable. It is adorable, right? And the second test, the results were similar. Ten cats would hear a more adult-oriented voice, even if it was their owner, and their behavior would decrease. But the kitty-kitty voice that you hear, <laughs> instant excitement. Unless the kitty-kitty voice came from a stranger. Huh, that's kind of weird. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, aside from the fact that my cat will never love anyone as much as she loves me, Mm -hmm. it boils down to the importance of one-on-one socialization. We've talked before about the unique bond owners and pets have together, and contrary to popular belief, it's the same for humans and cats. The very sound of the cat owner's voice is how the cat knows it's around safety. Oh, okay, okay, I see what this is. You're saying I'm an unsafe environment for your cat. Nate, you are allergic to my cat. That means your cat is an unsafe environment for me, not the other way around. Well, then either way, you're keeping each other safe. (laughs) Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Are you fronting a social cause and having a little trouble getting people to pay attention? Research says add a relatable face to the campaign. By having a character people identify with, you are more likely to get people to pay attention and potentially want to help out of a feeling of guilt. It's nearly impossible to measure how many times a human blinks in one day. Thankfully, researchers out of China have discovered a way to harness the power of ultrasound to make a compact and affordable pair of glasses that can accurately count eye blinks. By accurately monitoring blinks, researchers could eventually develop more effective methods of everything from communication to keeping tired drivers off the road. If you've ever noticed that your cat will listen to you but not your friend, it turns out science is on your side. Cats rely on the very specific sound of their owner's voice to know they're in safekeeping. Researchers believe this is evidence of just how important it is for you and your furry little friend to have a close relationship. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get podcasts, and we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our Discovery executive producer is Christina Bavetta. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by us, Callie Gade and Nate Bonham. Our producer is Kiara Noni. Writing is done by Jed Bookout and James Lynch. Our researcher is Julia Schrader. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Carissimi. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week.